Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning! Diaria! It's time to wake up! <laughs> it's five, and we're live! Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. Uh, this is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports. On 95.7, the game. Game days just, to borrow a phrase from the internet, hit different. They said a little different. When you wake up and you know your favorite team is playing that night, especially when they have a chance to close out the Western Conference Finals and punch their ticket to the NBA Finals, that's what the Warriors have a chance to do tonight. Game 5, Warriors-Mavericks, 6 p.m. tonight. We're going to have coverage all day, but the real coverage begins at 4.30 right here on 95.7 The Game. I'm Kyle Madsen, filling in for Stephen Langford today and tomorrow. Hopefully, Stephen will be back next week. And I want to start with the Golden State Warriors. Because there's a level of urgency going into this game. It's not panic. Because you can't, although... (laughs) Given this team's history with 3-1 leads, you you would you might understandably still be a little a little sore from from 2016. But what what the Warriors have tonight doesn't need to be panic, but there does need to be a sense of urgency that didn't exist in game 4. They have to go into game 5 because you 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 can't you can't lose game 5 because now you're going back on the road for a game 6 even if you win that game 6 that's an extra day of travel it's 40 extra minutes that you're putting on your players bodies and we'll talk about the rock fight that's going on in the eastern conference but um the warriors have to have a they have to play at a level tonight that they just never quite reached in game four. And understandably so. It's human nature. You're up three nothing. You're on the road. It's you've been on the road for four or five days. And you know, yeah, you'd like to win. I'm not saying they didn't try. You would like to win in four and kick your feet up and, and watch the Eastern Conference Finals, watch the Celtics and Heat duke it out to see who you're going to be playing. 
But also, I think in the back of your mind, you go in knowing, like, man, you know, you want to win this one, but if you don't, hey, you get game five at home. You're going back to Chase Center with a chance to close it out in a building that you've yet to lose in in the playoffs. The Warriors 8-0 and at Chase Center this postseason. And so, I think that you'll see Golden State tonight, especially offensively, just be better. And I think they'll be a little bit better defensively as well. Talked about it yesterday. There were just there were some lapses defensively and some miscommunications defensively that I think were born from the team just not quite not quite having that same edge that they had in the first three games. And I think tonight and the Warriors closing this series out is going to come down to their offense. And I know that sounds a little bit silly to say on a team that has Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and and Jordan Poole and and all the things Draymond Green can do orchestrating orchestrating an offense. But their offense was the difference between game 4 that they lost and game 2 that they won. And a lot of the analysis after game 4 was like, "Eh, the Mavs hit some shots, so be it. That's going to happen sometimes. But the Mavs shot it really well in Game 2 as well. In Game 2, Dallas was 21 of 45 from beyond the arc. They were 20 of 43 in Game 4. The difference is in Game 2, or uh, yeah, in Game 2, was every time Dallas would kind of throw that haymaker, the Warriors would duck it because they'd get a big three from Steph. Steph hit a couple of really massive threes in that game that kept it from getting out of hand. And yeah, they went down 19, but it was manageable at halftime. They're down 72-58 at halftime. 14 points, that's manageable going into the second half. And then we saw what they did in the second half. They 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 outscored Dallas 25-13 in the third quarter, 43-32 in the fourth quarter, and they ran away with a nine-point win. What happened in Game 4 was Dallas was hitting those shots, but Golden State never really had an answer. Steph Curry in that game only shot five three-pointers. He made two of them. Klay Thompson shot six. He made two of them. Uh, Jordan Poole shot it five times. He made two of them. And Golden State wound up shooting 10 of 28 from three. Oddly enough, in game two that they won, they also shot 28 threes, but they made 14 of them. And that 12 points would have been the difference in, in game four that they lost by 10. So I think what we're going to see tonight from the Warriors, I think we're going to see Steve. one of Steve Kerr's go-to phrases is playing with force. They just didn't play with any force in Game 4. <laughs> At least until that 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 kind of mop-up duty unit came in and the Mavs missed some threes and that, and that group got the Warriors back into the game. It made it really interesting late. But through the first 38, 40 minutes, the Warriors didn't play with nearly enough force, with nearly enough pace, with nearly enough urgency. So I think we'll see that tonight. And that's why I'm still very optimistic. I don't think, even if the Mavericks hit a bunch of threes, 
even if they get going early, which is going to be tougher for them. They're not in their building. Chase Center's electric. Really, really, I think, difficult place to play. Even if Dallas does come out, though, and, and hit some shots early, I think you'll see Golden State's offense um, bringing more answers than they had in Game 4. So where does that start? It starts with, as always, as it has for the last decade plus, it starts with number 30. I think you need to see Steph Curry be more assertive and more aggressive. He was 7 of 16 in Game 4, 2 of 5 from 3 I mentioned. 5 boards, 8 assists, he scored 20 points. Not a horrible game, but just not... And and those numbers are deflated a little bit because he only played 32 minutes. He didn't play a large majority of the fourth quarter, but... Like I said, he just wasn't in in the moments where you would like to see him kind of take over, where the Mavs extended the lead to 15, 18, 20, 22. There was never that big answer where Curry went down and got a bucket, Warriors get a stop, he gets another bucket, and just kind of puts his stamp on the game early and says, we're not going anywhere. I, he has to do that tonight. Whether that's making shots or warping the Mavs defense and getting Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson easier shots. He has to have an impact on this game and he has to do it early. The Warriors don't want to go down FYI 15 plus points to have to try and chip away and come back again. That's that's just not that's not that's not that's no way to go through life. Son. So it's going to start with Steph Curry, but Clay Thompson has not been good in this series. Can the Warriors get I don't I'm not I'm not asking for a massive um, you know, game 6 Clay type of game where he goes for where he goes for 30 plus and hits seven or eight threes, but can he hit four or five triples and play some effective defense? And give the Warriors 21, 22 points. He's yet to score 20 points in this series. He's only done it twice in his last eight games, including, we talked about Game 6 against Memphis, where he had 30. He had 21 in Game 3 of that Memphis series. That was the one the Warriors won by 30. The, the Warriors are a really, really hard team to guard when Clay Thompson is just making shots a little bit. Like I said, it doesn't even need to be seven, eight, nine threes. Can you give me four or five? I would love to see that from Clay tonight. And I think if 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 they're in a game where Clay is hitting four, five, maybe six threes, I think the Warriors are I, I think they win and, and win pretty comfortably. But the other one the other player I'm circling for tonight because I, I think the Warriors will play better defensively. Um, I think Dallas just presents some problems, really for any team, where they're going to get some open shots. But to me, the focus is this Warriors offense right now. It just was not very good in Game 4. And some of their some of their key guys, Steph, is, Steph has been the, the, the MVP of this series for me. But like I said, Clay, for the most part, 
ineffective, non I don't want to say non-existent, but but not as effective as you would like him to be. And then Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole has scored 20 points once in the Warriors' last seven games. That was game two of this series, where he had 23 points. It was a plus 26 in that game two victory. He was super efficient, 7 of 10 from the field. He was 2 of 4 from 3. He made all seven of his free throws. He had five assists. And when he's playmaking and then scoring on top of that playmaking, that's another wrinkle that makes Golden State really, really hard to guard, even for a pretty good defensive team in Dallas. And I think you have to see, again, not asking for Steph and Clay and 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 Poole to go for 30 apiece, but if Steph's going to give you 27, 28, can Clay give you 20, 21, 22? Can Jordan Poole get into that 20, 21, 22 point range? Because if they're doing that, if that trio is hitting shots at that rate and playing that effectively on offense, they can weather a storm from Dallas. I keep going back to game two because it's just a perfect example of the problem the Warriors pose. Dallas did everything right for the most part in that game. They did everything they wanted to do. At the end of the first half, it was 72-58. They were 15 of 27 from three. Compare that to game four, where the Warriors were down 62-47. Okay, 15 points. The Mavs, 11 of 23 from three. The Mavs actually shot it better in game two. And that was a game Golden State came back and won. The second half shooting numbers for Dallas were better in, in game four for sure, but but not so substantially that it explains why Golden State won game two and then lost game four. I think the Warriors play with a lot more urgency tonight. I do think they get better outings from Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole. And I still think that they put Dallas away and kick their feet up and wait for the winner of the Eastern Conference, and we will be watching the Golden State Warriors in the finals for the first time since 2019. Going to switch gears to football on the other side, because yesterday a small like sliver of news came out from 49ers OTAs that might present the strongest evidence yet that the team is done with Jimmy Garoppolo. Plus, Colin Kaepernick gets a workout. We'll talk about that on the other side. I'm Kyle Madsen, filling in for Stephen Langford. This is the Morning Roast on 95.7 The Game. Back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. That's right, it's the pregame show. Leading you right up to the morning roast with Bonte Hill and Joe Shasky. That's coming up at 6 o'clock. Show guard is... I know it. I'm Kyle Madsen filling in for Stephen Langford. Just filling in because I do things like call the show the wrong name. It's fine. Show guard is... I know, I got it. Show guard is... <laughs> Fingers crossed that's not uh, the direction the Warriors are headed. I don't think they are. I think they win tonight. I want to get into some news that trickled out of 49ers OTAs. I don't even know if I would call it news. It was just something that was said during a press conference that, like, that 
you might as well have shown a spotlight on it when it when it came across my my Twitter timeline. So typically, when a quarterbacks coach talks to the media, it's not very interesting. In fact, I couldn't tell you. Former 49ers quarterback coach Rich Scangarello. I couldn't tell you, A, if he ever even spoke to the media. And B, if he did, what he said. Couldn't tell you. And that's probably normal. Um, Brian Greasy is the 49ers new quarterbacks coach, if you missed that bit of news. That's right. Left the broadcast booth. Has never coached before. Uh, but Kyle Shanahan wanted somebody familiar with his offense. Shanahan and Greasy familiar with each other from Shanahan's time in Tampa Bay. He wanted somebody familiar with his offense and a veteran NFL quarterback who could kind of help transition Trey Lance into a starting role. Brian Greasy yesterday, speaking with the media, said that He's working with the three 49ers quarterbacks who are in the building. That's Trey Lance, Nate Sudfeld, and Brock Purdy, 2022 seventh round pick. And then he said that he has had no communication with Jimmy Garoppolo. Zero. And that, to me, of all... All the things, of all the speculation, of all the assumptions, of all the of all the things we've said this offseason about the 49ers quarterback situation, that to me is the most definitive answer on where the 49ers are. Outside of Kyle Shanahan saying that the the team is actively trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, that has even come with a caveat of, but if we can't trade him. You know, we'll see. We've budgeted to have his $27 million on the books. So, you know, it's not a guarantee that he's not on the team because they're trying to drum up interest in the trade market. That's how it goes. But the fact that the brand new quarterbacks coach, who has never coached before, has had zero communication with Garoppolo, that screams to me, that the team has zero intention of Garoppolo being part of the team at all. Kyle Shanahan talked about it on Tuesday. He said that the team still expects to trade him, but that's not a guarantee at this point. They were trying to trade him, but his shoulder injury and the surgery on his throwing shoulder kind of put everything on hold. And when you take a step back and kind of zoom out and look at all the quarterback movement that's happened this offseason. It's like, yeah, it wouldn't be surprised if his trade market is just totally dry. Maybe Carolina gives you something for him. Maybe, like, Seattle. Maybe, or if you're trading him to Seattle, if you're comfortable doing that. I think the 49ers would be fine with facing Jimmy Garoppolo twice a year, but... I just... I... I... I have not bought all offseason that the 49ers have some weird intention of keeping Garoppolo. You've seen all these reports of, oh, they're wary about Trey Lance. They they don't believe in Trey Lance. That's why they kept Jimmy Garoppolo. Because they're worried about Trey Lance. Like, no, man. He got hurt. 
That's why he's still on the roster, because they could not trade him. And now you have the quarterback's coach, who, like, not saying because if Garoppolo is hurt, he's rehabbing, you would expect him to be in the building at least, right? If he was going to be around, you would expect him to, at the very minimum, be in contact with the coaching staff. But he hasn't been. And that's because he's done with the 49ers, and the 49ers are done with him. Is he still on the roster? Yeah. Is he going to be on the roster by the time training camp starts? I would, I wouldn't bet. There are no odds you could give me that I would be comfortable betting a hundred dollars on yes that Jimmy Garoppolo is on the team and during training camp. I think he's taken his last snap, regular season, postseason, practice, or otherwise, with the 49ers. I've thought that. From the minute the NFC Championship game ended, and uh, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, openly saying they're trying to trade him, to Jimmy Garoppolo saying goodbye to everybody in his postseason press conference, to all of the team, all of the players on the team, kind of saying like saying their goodbyes on social media and in interviews. <laughs> This is the one. This removes all doubt from my mind. That Brian Greasy, the brand new quarterbacks coach, has not even spoken to the fourth quarterback that's on the roster. That doesn't bode well for that quarterback's future. That's what I'll say on that. Other quarterback news in the NFL, and perhaps even more importantly... It was reported yesterday initially by Adam Schefter and then confirmed by every major NFL reporter that Colin Kaepernick had a formal workout with the Las Vegas Raiders yesterday. Not a, yeah, they brought him in and they met with him and talked to him just to kind of get a get, like, no, he had a workout. And I'm not going to get into the politics of all of this. I'm not going to, I don't, that's not what I want to dive into. The, the this is this is not an opinion. It is it is a fact that Colin Kaepernick, the entire time that he's been unemployed, has been better than some quarterbacks on NFL rosters. And it felt like a matter of time before a team would finally cave and be like, okay, let's give this guy a look. Now, now the Raiders haven't signed him. They may not sign him. They may have worked him out. And it might be, because he hasn't played since 2016. Maybe the ship has just sailed. Maybe he's just not. He's been out of the game for too long. He's been working out. We've seen the videos of him throwing. Uh, he worked out at Michigan's uh, uh, spring game this year. He threw at halftime. Um, he's been working out. He's been throwing. He's still capable of throwing a football. But maybe he's just been out of the game for so long that the Raiders decide it's it's not worth bringing him in. But... I'm surprised that this is the only team that's even given him a workout. And when you look at the Raiders quarterback depth chart, it's it's Derek Carr. Okay, Derek Carr is going to be the starter. That's that's part of this. Is Derek Carr is the Raiders starting quarterback. But after that, it's Nick Mullins, who was on the Browns practice squad for most of last year. Jarrett Stidham who couldn't beat out whatever version of of Cam Newton was playing for the Patriots a couple years ago. 
and then an undrafted rookie from Cal named Chase Garber. Those are the Raiders' three quarterbacks behind Derek Carr. So it's not a it's not a huge surprise that the Raiders are looking for an upgrade. And of all the quarterbacks on the free agent market right now, all the quarterbacks who are actively available, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick's probably the best one. Is he a flawed quarterback? For sure. Like, he's definitely not perfect, and I'm definitely not saying he should go start over Derek Carr. But if you're if you're the Raiders and you're trying to improve your roster, this is the right thing to do. Like I said, forget the politics. Forget any of that. When you're looking at that depth chart, if you're if you're Josh McDaniels, the Raiders head coach, you say, "Yeah, we could get better at that spot." Who's out there? Uh, a very talented, big, strong-armed, fast quarterback. Like, yeah, bring him in. See what happens. This is also Josh McDaniels, who got something out of Cam Newton just a couple years ago after everybody thought that Cam Newton was done. Granted, he played more recently than Kaepernick, but. This is this is a good move by the Raiders. Like I said, having having nothing to do, forget forget all of the political stuff here. This is purely on the field football, the correct thing for the Raiders to do. And honestly, it would be the correct thing for any team at this point to do. I don't I I I, I don't have every quarterback depth chart in front of me, but I would be willing to guess that every team has a quarterback that, like, yeah, he Kaepernick might be an improvement. So shout out to the Raiders for doing the right thing and trying to improve their quarterback roster. That's absolutely the right move. I'm happy that a team finally did that. And if, and if, I almost said, if Las Vegas, that's two mistakes, Spadoni. Choke artist. I know it. Thank you. There it was. That's what I was looking for. If, if Vegas doesn't sign him, which is a distinct possibility, I'm hoping this opens the door for other teams to be like, okay, it's not the media circus we were expecting. Let's bring him in for a workout and see what's up. Maybe not. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the last shot, but. I'm happy that he's at least getting that shot. On the other side, a rock fight in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the saddest fan base in all of sports. We'll talk about that next. I'm Kyle Madsen filling in for Stephen Langford. This is the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Now, back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. I'm letting this rock. I'm just letting this play for the rest of the show. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. Kyle Madsen filling in for Stephen Langford. This is the pregame show, taking you right up to 6 o'clock. We'll hand it off to Bonte Hill and Joe Shasky. Is there a sadder fan base in sports than... The Seattle Mariners. Boy, that's a great question. It is. I don't think there is. And the difference between the Mariners... With all due respect to the Sacramento Kings and their ineptitude... 
the difference is Kings fans, for the most part, go into every year like, can't wait to see how this disaster goes. Browns fans, granted, they've been they've been better the last couple of years, but for a while, Browns fans just kind of knew, like, hey, they lean into the bit. Washington football team fans, the Commanders, Commanders fans, that's weird. Commanders fans, who the Washington Commanders like team hashtag thing is take command. Like that's what you came up with. It's clever. It's a, it's good. But pick a pick a sad fan base. A's fans. We know. I'm an A's fan. Joe Spadoni, the technical producer, also an A's fan. We lean into it. We just kind of know. Going into every year. Damn it! Like there's a there's a chance that they'll surprise you, but eh, probably not. And if they do surprise you, it's going to end in disappointment in October. It's 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 a bit now. You just lean into it. Mariners fans, on the other hand, don't lean into it. I have a bunch of friends who are Mariners fans, and they go into every single year like this is the year. Jared Kelnick, watch out. J.P. Crawford, watch out. They go into every year genuinely thinking that this is the year that their playoff drought ends. And their playoff drought, by the way, since 2001. (laughs) If a baby was born after the Mariners' last trip to the playoffs, and that baby was a Mariners fan, if they were born the day after Game 5 of the 2001 ALCS, which the Mariners lost... Uh, and got knocked out of the playoffs. They are now 21 years old. They are drinking their way through this Mariners season. That's crazy. That's that's nuts. So, every year Mariners fans come in. And the Mariners, by the way, have made the playoffs four times in their franchise history. Uh, they became a team in 1977. They've been to the playoffs four times. All four of those trips to the playoffs were between 1995 and 2001. The Mariners last night, or yesterday afternoon, lost to the A's 4-2. That dropped them to 5th in the AL West. They are 11 games back, and they are moving backwards. They finished in 3rd place in 2020. They finished in 2nd place in 2021. They won 90 games. Optimism was at an all-time high. And now they're 18-27. and 27. 11 games back in their division. And after all of this optimism, they're back at like square one. And that's brutal. That's a tough spot to be in as a fan base. Another tough spot to be in as a fan base. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Is where Miami Heat fans are right now. And I got to tell you, the way the Eastern Conference Finals are going, it makes me a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, bummed out, upset, that the Warriors didn't close out the Mavs in four games. Because the Warriors getting their series over with in four and getting to chill while <laughs> the Heat and the Celtics just beat the hell out of each other in the other conference, that would have been a nice little that would have been a nice little way to go into the finals for the Warriors. Because what happened last night between the Celtics and Heat was maybe the most unimpressive basketball I've ever seen in a conference finals game. The final score of that one was 93 to 80. And that wasn't that's not that's not a throwback to like oh man there was just some great defense and and the Heat and the Celtics are two good defensive teams don't get me wrong but it wasn't a throwback type of game where it was like man what a basketball game 93 to 80 you know just just phenomenal defense on on both sides no it was just bad basketball. And it became really clear. I think I think any Warriors fan would have told you going into this series that you rather would have you would have rather played the Heat than the Celtics in the finals. Assuming the Warriors get there. But now it's I don't I don't know if Miami would win a game if they happen to make the finals against Golden State. Or even or even Dallas, for that matter. 93 to 80, the final last night. And <laughs> Jason Tatum, 7 of 20 in that game. Jalen Brown, he was better, 10 of 19. He was 5 of 9 from 3. He had 25 points. But what the Heat did offensively is, is forgive the pun, offensive. Jimmy Butler, 4 of 18. PJ Tucker, 3 of 7. Kyle Lowry and Max Struess. The starting backcourt went 0 for 15 from the field. Duncan Robinson, 4 of 12. Victor Oladipo, 1 for 7. Caleb Martin, 3 for 7. Just a disaster of a basketball game. And if you're the Warriors, assuming that you punch your ticket to the finals, and assuming you do so tonight, which I think they will, I think you feel you feel good about going into the finals against 
a Boston team that looked kind of unbeatable in the last round of the playoffs. But now they're banged up. Robert Williams has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Marcus Smart is is was largely ineffective last night. He's hobbling around. He's grabbing his. He's got an ankle problem, and then he was dealing with like a back and a shoulder last night. Like it is. Uh, Jason Tatum has not looked has not looked great the entire series against Miami. He's looked he's looked very mortal after looking like uh, like he was ascending to to the top tier of NBA players in the last round. And he still had 22, 12, and 9. Like, he was still still good last night, but he doesn't look like this, oh man, as long as he's on the court, the Celtics are going to win type of player. The one guy, though, that really jumps out to me for Boston is Robert Williams. Not only because like they're just they're just they're just better when he's on the court. When Robert Williams is getting twenty six minutes for Boston, I feel like they're always positive when he's on the floor. He's plus nine last night. But I want to spin this to the Warriors because I think Robert Williams offers kind of a kind of a good blueprint for for what James Wiseman can do when he's healthy. Uh, Robert Williams is six eight, listed at six eight two thirty seven. He doesn't have the size that that James Wiseman has, but he averages a couple blocks a game, ten points, ten boards. Um, doesn't do a ton offensively. Isn't asked to do a ton offensively. He catches lobs. He grabs offensive rebounds and and gives Boston extra possessions. He protects the rim and just really gives their defense an element that that. Nobody else on their roster really does, and he he just makes them really hard to score on. As you saw, Miami scored 80 points last night. But when I watch Robert Williams for the Celtics, it's like, man, if James Wiseman can come back, and I'm not I'm not even trying to say that James Wiseman James Wiseman is going to go be an All Star or not, but if that's the kind of impact he can provide, it's like now you see. Now you 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 start to kind of get that blueprint for what the Warriors are going to look like moving forward. And I don't want to get too far down the line with what the Warriors are going to look like moving forward because they have Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals tonight. But that just really jumped out to me as I watched this Boston and Miami series because, frankly, there's <laughs> there's not been a lot else to watch. It's been kind of a boring, boring series for the most part. But if you're the Warriors and you're going to the Finals... Again, assuming they they complete this series. With the way Boston's just kind of banged up and just the way they're playing right now, and maybe it's whatever the Heat are doing defensively that's throwing them off. But Boston looks beatable right now after looking very unbeatable in the last couple rounds. And I think that's that's really, really good news for Golden State. I just saw a question on on one of these... Uh, sports debate shows of does Jimmy Butler need another star? Like the answer is yes. Short answer, yes. Miami's just not deep enough. Even with Ty- even if Tyler Hero is healthy, Miami's just not not deep enough. And I'm not even sure I'd put Jimmy Butler in that in that tier of star with you know your Steph Curry's. Like when you when you think of the ten best players in the league, does anyone put Jimmy Butler there? If you're just li- if I say hey list the ten best players 
If I just survey basketball fans, how many people are putting Jimmy Butler in that 10? I don't think very many. Yeah, I just, I, he's excellent. He's amazing. But I just think he's kind of that tier below. I think Miami needs a star that is a tier above where Jimmy Butler is. That's the Miami Heat breakdown. I think Miami's going to be relevant to, irrelevant to Golden State's interests uh, after Game 6. I think Boston is on their way to closing that series out. I think the Warriors are on their way to closing out the Dallas Mavericks tonight. That game tips off at 6 o'clock. Coverage begins at 4.30 right here on 95-7 the game. Remember the J- Javon Kinlaw-Grant Cohn beef that we discussed a little bit yesterday? That really this station as a whole discussed all day yesterday. is a fascinating... Fascinating look at at a kind of modern multimedia uh, personality and a player. The interaction between those two with the internet and just kind of accessibility to information and and players now hearing more noise than they ever have. And that confrontation between Grant Cohn and Javon Kinlaw. Apparently, John Lynch called the two into the, into Lynch's office yesterday and had them, like, talk it out. And then Grant Cohn went on YouTube and said, hey, the beef is squashed. And then Javon Kinlaw went on Instagram and said, no, it's not. Like, I shook your hand for my organization, but this beef is not done. I'm fascinated to see how that shakes out. That's the update there. And I'm guessing that's the last update we'll get for for quite a while. The Giants beat the Mets 9-3 yesterday. Back-to-back really good wins for San Francisco after looking like they were going to suffer a really bad loss on Tuesday. They come back and, and win that one. Came back a couple of times to win that one after blowing a big lead. And then yesterday just... Dominated the Mets nine to three. Jock Peterson another home run over his last two games. He's five for eight, ten driven in, and uh, is playing playing really really well, including the three homers uh, on Tuesday night. Real quick on RBIs, by the way, not an individual player stat. I said ten driven in, but he has four homers. That's the impressive part of that. How many he drives in has to do with what the players are doing in front of him. It has nothing to do with Jock. Just (laughs) my anti-RBI stance is just not a super popular one. But I feel like it's a necessary stance to get out there. We need There's some old baseball traditions we need to get away from. And we need to get away from circling RBIs as a measure of individual player success. Because if you go three for three with three solo homers and I go one for six with a grand slam, like you had a better day than I did. Despite the fact that I drove in more runs. Because I was just lucky enough to have teammates on when I hit mine. That's all. That's all I'm going to say on the RBI thing. Some not-so-good news for the Giants is what Joey Bart has been doing this year. And I was willing to give him a month, but now we're two months in. 
He has 95 plate appearances. And after an 0 for 3 day yesterday, Bart is now hitting a buck 65. Getting on base at a 305 clip, which is actually pretty respectable given that he's hitting a buck 65. At 13, he's walking about 14% of the time, but he has four homers. Uh, he's slugging just 329. It's just been it's been a rough go, and the number that really jumps out to me, and the most concerning number, like if he just wasn't getting hits and and he's making good contact and the hits just weren't falling, that'd be one thing. But he is striking out forty five point three percent of the time. That is the highest rate in baseball among players with at least ninety plate appearances. Even in an era where strikeouts in the three true outcomes era, 45% is outrageous. If you're in if you're in the mid to high 20s, like okay, fine. You start creeping into the 30s now, it's a little bit of a problem. But if you're striking out in almost half your polite appearances, that is unacceptable. And it's the kind of thing that makes me very, very concerned. I don't want to write Joey Bart off because he is still young. This is his first taste of full major league action. He also has catching duties. He's trying to manage a pitching staff. But this is not a good start, to say the least. And the trajectory is very quickly going the wrong way. After he got out to a really good start, it's like, man, this guy's seen the ball really well. He's not going to match Buster Posey's production, but you know, maybe he can give them at least a fraction of that. But he's kind of done the opposite. And one of the things that that sticks out to me with this is just how good and how how lucky how good Buster Posey was and how lucky the Giants were to have him for as long as they did. Because what Buster Posey was doing for the Giants was not normal. He was putting up Hall of Fame caliber numbers year in and year out. I don't want to get into the Buster Posey Hall of Famer debate. Like He was just putting up Hall of Fame numbers. Whether you think he's going to go in or not is, is irrelevant. That's not normal. It's so hard to find good catching in baseball. It's so hard. And that's why you see these kind of like below average catchers just stick around for a long time because they're just, if you can be something less than a disaster as as a catcher, you can stick around in the league for a long time. But the start of the year, the first 29 games for Joey Bart in his first full major league season, or what should be his first full major league season, are not going well. And it seems like the Giants kind of went sink or swim with him. Like they're just throwing him into the water and seeing if he floats. And so far, not so good. Again, not, not writing him all the way off, but the numbers indicate that, um, that his trajectory is, is not going the right way. And it's hard to, it's hard to envision a bounce back that, that corrects where he's going to be a, a really, really productive major league player. Game 5, Warriors-Mavericks is tonight. The Warriors lost Game 4. And Game 4 went 
a lot like Game 2, and that's why I have a lot of optimism about Game 5. Because it wasn't the... The thought after Game 4 was, will the Mavs just hit shots... And if they're going to hit shots, then so be it. Like, that happens sometimes. Like, no, they hit, actually, they hit shots at a better clip in Game 2. The difference is, and this is, again, this is why I'm optimistic. The difference is the Warriors. The difference is the Warriors' offense, specifically. Pencil the Mavs in for 20 made threes. Just pencil it in. Give them 20. Give them 110 points. How do the Warriors answer on the other side? That's going to be what determines... It's not the Mavs shooting. It's not the Warriors defense. It's going to come down to Steph Curry. It's going to come down to Klay Thompson. It's going to come down to Jordan Poole. When the Mavs are hitting threes, because again, if they're not, the Warriors are going to win. Like That's, that's it. The Mavs are going to live and die by the three. That's their M.O. So if you're Golden State, you're penciling the Mavs in for 20 made threes. There has to be answers. That's what we saw in Game 2. Every time the Mavs would stretch their lead out, you would get a big three from Stephen Curry. You'd get a big shot from Andrew Wiggins. You'd get a, you'd get a big bucket from Kevon Looney that just kept it manageable. They were down 14 after the first half in Game 2. They were down 15 after the first half in Game 4. The difference was the Mavs pulled away in the third quarter in Game 4 because the Warriors could not match their shot making. And when the Warriors are matching their shot making and they're not allowing the Mavs to get out and run and you have Golden State scrambling on defense. We saw so many more miscommunications and blown assignments in Game 4 because the Mavs weren't having to take the ball out of the hoop and the Warriors weren't getting a chance to set their defense. And so I think tonight, you have to get... You, know, you for the most part, know what you're going to get from Stephen Curry. But what are you going to get from Jordan Poole? Like I said, one 20-point game in his last seven. Clay Thompson has not shot it well this entire series, but we've seen him, and, and to, to Clay's credit, he's not trying to shoot his way out of it by blazing away from three. He's trying to get to his spots in the mid-range. He's trying to find good shots, and I commend him for that. But I would like to see him hit, again, He doesn't. it doesn't need to be eight, nine threes. Can he get five or six? If he's going to hit five or six, and Steph Curry's going to give the Warriors 28, 29, 30 points, and Jordan Poole has a 20-point game. Now all of a sudden, to me, it does not matter what the Mavs do on offense. Because the Mavs are not good enough, they are not deep enough, that when the Warriors are firing on all cylinders, I don't care how many shots the Mavericks make. I don't care how many shots any team makes, frankly. If those three guys are going for the Warriors, it unlocks everything they do on both ends. It makes offense easier, which in turn makes defense easier. And that cycle continues. Because when the Warriors are getting stops on defense, they can get out and run, and we know how good they are in transition. So that's what I I need to see from Golden State tonight. It's urgency. It's not panic. It's not panic. 
but there has to be a level of urgency tonight. Even though they're up 3-1, to one, even though they were up 3-0, even though the Mavs did just hit a bunch of shots in Game 4, there has to be a level of urgency tonight that was missing in Game 4. And if that urgency is there, I think the Warriors win, and they win pretty comfortably. And if the Mavs are going to miss shots, like I said, then if they're going to come back to earth a little bit after shooting 40-plus percent in Game 4 then maybe the Warriors win very comfortably. I'm Kyle Madsen. Been filling in for Stephen Langford this week. Want to shout out everybody who has tuned in. We appreciate it immensely. I'm having so much fun doing this. And what a what a great time to be doing it. The Warriors look like, right now, based on what we've seen in the conference finals... The Warriors look like the best team in the league right now. What what the Celtics and Heat are doing to each other in the other conference, on the other side of the bracket, as it were, really makes it look like the Warriors are the best team in the NBA right now. And they have a chance tonight to really drive that home, to really, to really, to really put a stamp on that take care of the Mavs in five, kick their feet up, and await the winner of the Eastern Conference. The NBA Finals start a week from today. Wow, yeah, June 2nd, week from today. Can't wait for that. Fingers crossed it's the Warriors. I think it will be. I'm Kyle Madsen. I've been filling in for Stephen Langford. Thank you, everybody who's been listening. Uh, I'll be back in tomorrow. Bonte Hill and Joe Shasky with the Morning Roast are next So stay locked in all day. Warriors, Mavericks, tonight, 6 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 4.30 right here on 95.7 The Game. This has been the Pre-Game Show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.